Our reading is Exodus 11. It's the whole chapter. It's quite a short chapter, and it's on the handout you'd have received. But if you didn't get one, page 53 of the Blue Pew Bibles in front of you. Exodus 11, a whole chapter. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go up from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there never has been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. If you can catch sight of that reading, that will be really helpful for you, as John said. You can either follow that along on your A5 sheet. If you didn't get one, feel free to to go over and get one from the back there. Or the the Bible's there in front of you, page 53, you'll find that reading. The idea this morning is that God brings triumph from tragedy. God had called Moses to lead Israel from slavery into freedom. But so far, Pharaoh has refused nine times, and so there's been nine plagues. And last time we saw that rebellion leads to ruin, but following to flourishing. And even Pharaoh's servants would say to him, do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? And now we're coming towards that final plague, the Passover. And this will close one section of the story of Exodus and will mark the beginning of Israel's march to freedom. And so that one idea to take home with you today is that God brings triumph from tragedy for his people. And we see three sections in these 10 verses that help develop this one idea. In verse 1 to 3, we see that God turns failure to favor. In verses 4 to the beginning of verse 8, we see that God brings triumph from tragedy. And then thirdly, God does the outcomes and you do obedience. If we firstly turn to those first three verses there, God turns failure to favor. I wonder whether you can spot what links these different characters here. Henry Ford, Vincent van Gogh, J.K. Rowling, and Albert Einstein. 
Well, these are all failures who became successful. Henry Ford went bankrupt before designing the Model T and changing car manufacturer forever. Vincent van Gogh in his uh, life only sold one painting. J.K. Rowling was rejected 12 times by publishers before writing the Harry Potter series. And Albert Einstein couldn't read until the age of nine and was expelled from school. But they all were failures who became highly successful. Well, for Moses here, God turns his failure to favour. Look there with me at verse one. The Lord said to Moses, and if you're reading in a physical Bible rather than the sheet, you might have, hopefully you'll have a footnote that might say, this could be translated, the Lord had said to Moses. Past tense. Because this has happened previously. And this explains why Moses was so bold at the, at the end of chapter 10. The Lord had said to Moses. And so despite Pharaoh's shouting and raving, Moses listens to and trusts in God's word, not Pharaoh's. The Lord had said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. There is one more plague, or the word actually is slightly different to the word plague used previously. It means strike or blow. There is one more tragedy to come. God would deliver them, but he'll deliver them in his timing. And so they have to trust him. And we do too, don't we? The people here had been through nine plagues. But God always delivers on his promise to his people. So he says, verse 2, Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbour and every woman of her neighbour for silver and gold jewellery. And do you see what's happened there? Do you notice Moses' audience has just expanded from Pharaoh's court to the nation. And this is a step of faith for Moses, isn't it? Because if you remember back, he turned his back on Egyptian citizenship. He turned his back on a royal title, being rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. He was, he was part of the line of Pharaoh's. but he turned his back on all of that to lead Israel. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us, chapter 11, verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. To put it in maybe a modern context, this is like a spy who had turned on their own country, seen as a traitor, returning and he has to trust he's not just going to be booed out of the building the moment he stands up to speak to them. But God is turning Moses' failure to favour. And he's doing so for the people too. 
They are to ask the people of Egypt, everyone of their neighbor, for gold and for silver jewelry. And this is fulfilling the promise that God had made in chapter 3, that they wouldn't leave Egypt empty-handed, but in fact, they would leave with all the treasures of Egypt too, so that, and the way it ends in that chapter is to say that, so that you will have plundered the Egyptians. You're not just walking out empty-handed. God is giving them the resources to make their start together as a nation because God is turning the failure to favor. And then look at verse three there with me. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. The people now are being seen with favor. God is turning things around, isn't he? Pharaoh had previously stoked very irrational fears, hadn't he? Chapter 1, verse 12, says the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel because of the sort of propaganda. But now Egypt are realizing their leader is the tyrant, not the people of Israel. See, God sees injustice, doesn't he? It may sometimes seem to take a while for him to act on it. But he always fights on the side of the downtrodden. And he's turning things around. I don't think the Egyptians love the Israelites. I don't think that that's quite the favor. Bearing in mind everything that has happened, I don't think that they love them, but they certainly think they should be free. They should have their lives given back to them. And that is hope, isn't it? There's hope for us, perhaps, in the moments where we might face injustice at work and in the world, where legitimately we may face mistreatment at times. Isn't that hope that God sees it and God acts upon it? He's granting them favor. But it's not just about the people. Look at the second part of verse 3 there. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. What a contrast this is. Moses had started, do you remember, with all the enthusiasm, all the energy, all the vision. But he did everything in his own strength. And he goes and he ends up killing someone because he thinks that he will save the people. And he winds up wanted dead by Pharaoh and disowned by Israel, losing 40 years in Midian in witness protection. And maybe you can think of a moment or moments where you have failed, where you did things in your own strength. And maybe it didn't go so well for you either. Or maybe that's just me. But the good news is that God turns failure to favor for Moses, and he can do it for us too. But sometimes we need a good failure to learn humility, don't we? And that God can do more through us that way. Sometimes we learn more in a period in the wilderness than the mountaintop. And in God's grace, he's sometimes willing enough to let you have a moment of failure first. But he turns failure 
to favour for Moses. And just as we move on, notice the one person who hasn't changed at all. Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the odd one out, isn't he? Everybody else has changed their perspective here, but Pharaoh. God turns failure to favour for Moses and for the people of Israel. But next we see that God brings triumph from tragedy. Um, Back in the early 90s, when we only had four channels... You young people get fed up of hearing about that. I'm technically just about in that bracket. Well, one of the things that was a part of every Saturday evening was the A-team. Because for some reason, you know, main channels could only really afford to put things on from the 80s that had finished running. So part of Saturday evening was watching the A-team. And part of the opening monologue told you, if you have a problem, if no one else can help, if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-team. And when you saw the van coming over the brow of the hill and you heard the music, you knew that the heroes were riding in to save the day. And here, God is riding into town to defend Israel, his children, and to bring triumph from tragedy. Verse 4, so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt And maybe you might just be thinking that, well, I I thought that this was over. (laughs) I I thought this conversation was come to an end because chapter 10 had ended, do you remember, with Moses saying, uh, with Pharaoh saying to him, don't let me see your face again. And Moses saying, you're right, I won't see your face again. And yet it feels like, well, you know, here we are sort of pretty soon afterwards, isn't it? What's, What's going on here? I alluded to it at the beginning that actually verse one there should say the Lord had said to Moses, I past sort of tense and there's a lesson that I've learned from arguing in marriage and that's that or maybe I've only learned one lesson out of it but anyway it's not over until she says it's over then it's still not over and it was your fault And you don't realise that the next instalment could be in 30 seconds, 30 minutes, or four years. So is Moses doing that here? He said he's off, but he can't help himself. He's back in. (laughs) One last thing. Well, verses 1 to 3 here actually happens at at chapter 10, verse 24. It's part of that conversation there. And 4 to 8, where we are now, is Moses carrying on immediately after chapter 10, verse 29. He hasn't actually left. There's a continuation of it. So we haven't got that kind of disjointed thing of coming back into it. We've actually not sort of left that conversation fully yet. This is the continuation of his thought. Moses says, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And maybe that is a little bit jarring to hear. Because maybe we wonder, how can God do something like this? And so it's important to remember who the bad guy is. Pharaoh has been forewarned nine times by God. 
He has been offered a way out. Let the people go. Pharaoh, do you remember, had no qualms. Murdering Israelite sons, as well as enslaving them all. And Pharaoh has never doubted, really, has he? God's existence, God's power, God's reign. He's even identified it and served his servants. He just refuses to give in to God. There is a poetic, although terrible, justice in Egypt facing the same trauma that they had inflicted upon Israel. And this shows just how ego-driven Pharaoh is. Here's the warning. If you don't let the people go, this is what will happen. He still won't humble himself before God. And he would even sacrifice the sons of all his people and even his own son for his position. Take a moment to take that in. What kind of parent would do that? It helps to remember who the bad guy really is here. Look at verse 6. There should be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. And utterly avoidable if Pharaoh had let the people go the triumph of Egypt will turn to tragedy because rebellion leads to ruin and following to flourishing. And where Pharaoh has sacrificed his people, God will rescue his people. And so for Israel, tragedy would turn to triumph here. Look at verse 7. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The hope for those that suffer injustice here and in the world even today isn't, hang on, try to ignore it. No, the hope is that God, the hero, rides in and rights wrongs. And even the Egyptian people here need to see that God is a better father to his people than Pharaoh had ever been to Egypt. And that where people have been brought to their knees under harsh slavery, now Egypt would have to bow in humility to God and to Israel. So it tells us, verse 8, All these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. Do you notice there? The people are taking responsibility from Pharaoh that now the people of Egypt are saying what Pharaoh refused to say go God the hero rides in and he rights the wrongs his people have faced he brings triumph from out of tragedy God turns failure to favour he brings triumph from tragedy and then thirdly God does the outcomes, and you do the obedience. 
Sometimes we place so much responsibility on ourselves to make sure we get the outcomes in life, don't we? Because we sort of feel more in control and more at peace when we think that we're controlling outcomes. And although we never quite want to say it like this, at least not in public, it's because we think that we will do a better job even than God. Because, be honest, the times that you feel God isn't in charge, aren't they the times that you feel least in charge? And the line between your feeling of in charge and whether God is in charge seems to erode. Sometimes it's hard, though, in life, isn't it? Because sometimes it feels like that might even be true, that we might just do a better job. Uh, I found this post on social media. I'm rarely on it, but when I am, I usually seem to be hungry, and the algorithm has picked up on this. Sometimes it feels as though it would be easier for us to control outcomes. Here is someone who's asked for double cheese on their hamburger, and so they've just put another slice of cheese on the top. But that's not true with God. God is in charge. He's in charge whether we like it or not, actually. But he can be trusted. And so we need to allow God to do the outcomes, and we do obedience. And that is the challenge for Moses here, that God does the outcomes, he does the obedience. Look at it. He came out from Pharaoh. says he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger, in burning anger. He's ready to explode. And maybe you know that feeling sometimes at work, at home. Coming out of that meeting and you're just about ready to sort of unleash on somebody, whoever's the next person to be uh, unlucky enough to hear it. But was he wrong to be angry? Israel have been enslaved. They've been abused physically, emotionally, financially. You've even been murdered. Nine times Moses has delivered God's word. Nine times Pharaoh has rejected it. Moses has even prayed for the welfare of Pharaoh in Egypt. And all the while, Israel is still living as slaves. Moses isn't wrong to feel angry. He's right. But his anger certainly doesn't change the outcome, does it? God does the outcomes we do obedience. And so Moses needs here to cool off. Look at verse 9. This is what God is doing for him. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses needs reminding that God is working out his outcomes. It is not to Moses to deliver the outcome here. It's sometimes hard, isn't it, in life when we are struggling under an unfair boss or authority figure in some way where we do feel we're genuinely we're not being treated right. And we might be right in thinking that. But actually being able to hold on to actually God does still have a purpose somewhere in this. And that's not to say that their behavior is right, is it? Pharaoh's behavior is wrong. But we must look to God as king over the kings in our life. It means that we do obedience and God does outcomes. And here is God's purpose, that my wonders may be multiplied. 
And then we get in verse 10 the summary really of this whole section we've had of these interactions between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and the plagues and everything else. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. And it seems strange maybe, doesn't it? What more could you possibly wish to see from God in order to believe in God? Pharaoh has seen the most amazing signs, hasn't he? It shows us a truth that wonders don't lead to worship. Your heart being changed by God leads to worship. In his anger at Pharaoh's pride, Moses needed reminding that God does the outcomes. You do obedience. For Pharaoh and Egypt, triumph will turn to tragedy. While for Israel, God will bring triumph from tragedy. That's because God has always been working that way and always has ever since. God made a good world with everything in it needed for humanity and creation to flourish. And Adam and Eve's rebellion introduced a poison of sin that has broke everything. It's broken the creation, it's broken us, it's broken our relationships. And we find that the problem is so deep and significant that sin is not just about things that we do, that barely scratches the surface, but that sin is about who we are, who we have become. It comes from within us. Jesus says it's not the things that come into your body that contaminate you, it's what comes from inside of you. It's a natural reflex for us. And sin deserves death. To uphold creation, although God is extremely and abundantly patient, he cannot allow it to go on forever. And what is God's response? Well, God's response is to send Jesus, his son. Jesus, who is everything that Adam and we are not. Selfless, where we're selfish. Loving, where we are not. Humble, where we are prideful. Faithful, where we are fickle. And Jesus gives up his life on the cross, dying to cover our sin and to gift us his perfect record. But as Jesus dies on the cross, it seems for all the world like it's a tragedy. Where could the triumph possibly be in Jesus' death? And so we need to remember Jesus' own words before he went to the cross. John chapter 10. He tells people, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
Jesus wasn't ultimately dying because of the sin of the people who rejected him. He wasn't dying because of the passive weakness of Herod and Pilate, bad rulers who knew full well he was innocent, but wanted to protect their position, much like Pharaoh here. He didn't die as a plucky loser overpowered. He was dying because of the definite rescue plan of God, which meant that God himself would feel the full force of the tragedy of his own son dying in order that he might save us. Pharaoh was willing to sacrifice his son for himself. God was willing to sacrifice his son for us. And so the triumph comes in Jesus' resurrection. God brought triumph from tragedy, rescuing his people from the suffering in Egypt. And we'll hear of that next week in the Passover and then the crossing of the Red Sea. But God also rescues us from Satan's sin and death through Jesus. He brings triumph from tragedy. And the only thing that is asked on our behalf is to have faith. We thought that at the beginning. We read from 1 John, didn't we? Who are those who overcome the world? Those of faith. The call this morning is to place your faith in Jesus the Son, sacrificed to bring triumph from tragedy for us, to rescue us, to bring us home. Let's pray, and then in a few moments we'll worship God for his grace.